This is an ICGC Cornerstone podcast. At Cornerstone, we believe in the power of the Word of God to transform lives and empower people to influence their generation. And now, time for the message. This is part three of my series um, of called to be holy. And we've been talking about living holy before God, and we've talked about the fact that God has called us to a life of holiness. And today we're going to look a bit into the process of how do we become holy and learn a few things that I believe will be a blessing to us this morning. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 28, verse 31, and then we'll jump to verse 35 and 36. Exodus 28, verse 31, and then we'll jump to Verses 35 and 36. Where is Exodus? It's in your Bible, all right? It's there. It's there. If you seek, you'll find. Exodus 28, 31, and then verse 35 and 36. It says, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. Verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers. And its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out. That he may not die. Verse 36. And you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. Holiness unto the Lord. And so the engraving is called holiness unto the Lord. And this is an, uh, it's part of the priest's robe and his attire. And so the priest normally when he's dressed up before he comes before God, he has this entire um, attire on and he has this turban on. And there's a, there's, a, there's a gold engraving that writes holiness unto the Lord and it's on the turban. And so before he comes before the Lord, he has to wear that entire um, attire. And I defined holiness in our, in our previous lesson as to be perfect in nature without blemish. To be set apart and exalted in worth. To be morally clean and blameless. And so in this particular situation from the high priest, we begin to see that from his clothing, there, there are a few things that we can learn about God's holiness. Particularly the inscription on his forehead, holiness unto the Lord. So what does it mean to be holy before God? What does it mean to be holy before God? I'm going to give us three descriptions. Number one, our holiness must be according to God's standard. Our holiness must be according to God's standard. It is according to God's standard and not our standard. Very important. You can easily set your own standard and meet your standard. You can, you can meet the standards of your, of, your, of your community, your company, your society, the standards of the laws of Ghana. Those are great. But that does not mean that you are holy before God because holiness goes beyond just actions to even our thoughts as well. And so when we, when we say that we are holy before God, it is according to God's own standard. We are not measuring ourselves by the laws of Ghana or the laws of our society. We are measuring ourselves according to what God says in his word. Number two, our holiness is not based on self-righteousness. It's not based on self-righteousness. So you, you don't just go about pronouncing good things for yourself and say, oh, I'm holy and, and all that. And expect, oh, you, you, are, you are the best thing that ever happened. No, that's not what happens. Because sometimes, you know, as Christians, sometimes we're in certain groups and we portray ourselves to be holier than thou. To be the center of everything. 
we, 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 we portray a certain self-righteous attitude before people. We pronounce on people's character. We judge, on, we judge people's character. We, we determine who is good and who is not good. And we think we are the center of everything. But holiness to the Lord is not being self-righteous. It's not about just judging everybody. No, no. It's not about speaking about people's character and their flaws. That's not what it's about. It's about recognizing that what we do is unto God. It is not self-righteousness. And number three, our holiness is not bribery to gain God's favor. It's not bribery to gain God's favor. We are not being holy to the Lord so, so that he will give us something. We are being holy to the Lord because that is his nature and that is who he has called us to be. You don't, you don't want to be holy just because you want to get something out of God. No, 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 no. God will bless you. But your holiness must not be a means of manipulating God. Because even sometimes in prayer, we, we, we throw our holiness before God. We say, God, you know, look at how I've been holy before you. I've been holy. I've been living my life. I've been trying to honor you. So you must bless me. No, but our holiness is not to manipulate God. God doesn't answer our prayer based on our holiness. He answers our prayer based on his grace. Based on his grace. That is why he answers our prayer. And it's very important that we understand that he answers our prayer based on his goodness and on his mercy as well. And we must understand that we live a holy life not to bribe God, not to pay God, not to try to manipulate him. We don't live to manipulate God. He calls us to be holy. Because sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes things get tough. But it doesn't mean that we stop being holy. Because our holiness is unto God. It is unto God. Not to manipulate him for any personal blessing. So we must live our lives in such a way that we choose to honor God and to bring him praise in all that we do. Our lives must speak. Our character must speak louder than even our words. We must be very intentional about building a life. About choosing to honor God and to live for him and to please him in all our ways. It must be an intentional effort. And so I'm going to use the steps that God takes the high priest through. Uh, because the high priest has to go through several steps to be declared as holy. And I'm going to use those steps um, that were used in the Old Testament and draw out some principles that I believe applies to us today as we think about the fact that we have been called to be holy. So there are, there, are, there are several steps. There are three steps that a high priest goes through to be holy. The first one is cleansing from sin. Cleansing from sin. Why? Because you cannot be holy and sinful at the same time. If you are going to be holy, then your sins have to be cleansed. They have to be washed away. The hindrance to holiness is sin. That is the hindrance to holiness. So the first step that a high priest has to take is that the high priest has to be cleansed. From sin. And we see that in Exodus 29, verse 4. And I'll be in Exodus 29 throughout the rest of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the teaching today. Exodus 29, 29, verse 4, it says, And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Now, under the Old Testament, to receive forgiveness of sin, uh, it is important that also the high priest is washed with water. Now, the 
process of washing with water was to signify that the high priest had been forgiven of his sin. And there were some other sacrifices. We'll look at that very, very soon. But that process of going through purification of washing yourself with water was to signify that the high priest had been forgiven of his sin. Of course, as you know, in the New Testament, uh, the, the agency that purifies us of our sin is the blood of Jesus. But in the Old Testament, the water was the washing of the water signified that the high priest had been forgiven of his sin. So you don't say, oh, today I woke up and I took a shower, so I have been forgiven of my sin. No, you were cleansed from the death of a crime. All right, but the forgiveness of sin comes through the agency of the blood of Jesus. Very important. Holiness starts with cleansing from sin. But not only do we see cleansing from sin in the process of the high priest becoming holy, we also see number two, clothing in righteousness. Clothing in righteousness. The sins had been washed away and now the high priest had to be dressed in a special attire. It was a white linen with several other things um, on it as well. And, and, and the whole idea was now that the priest that has been cleansed from sin now is clothed in righteousness. And we see that in Exodus 29 verse 5 and 6. It says, then you shall take the garments... Put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of ephod. Verse 6. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And so there was a prescribed set of clothing and all these items that the priest had to wear to reflect the righteousness that he has was very important because the priest had to go before the presence of God. And, and, and you cannot come before the presence of God with sin. You have to come righteous. And so the priest is demonstrating all these things that in the New Testament is the reality of who we are when we give our lives to Christ. Very important. And so the second step is that you must be clothed in righteousness. You must cover yourself in righteousness, my friends. You must put on a new attire, a new attitude, a new lifestyle, a new behavior. You must put, clothe yourself in righteousness. It's one thing being forgiven of sin. It's another thing walking in righteousness. There are two different things. There are people who have received cleansing from sin but are not able to walk in righteousness because they've not gone on to step number two. They are not clothed in righteousness. It's very important that we must be covered in righteousness so we don't go back to sin again. But so not only do we have cleansing from sin and clothing in righteousness, number three is consecration of the spirit. Consecration of the spirit. We see that in verse 7 of Exodus 29. And it says, and you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. He was consecrated. And that word consecrated means to be set apart, to be dedicated to God. Very important. He says the anointing oil, he says you shall pour the oil on him. The anointing oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit consecrates us unto holiness. You cannot live a holy life without the Holy Spirit. As well-intentioned as your efforts may be, you cannot live a holy life without the Holy Spirit. Why is that the case? It is the case because sin is not physical. You can't go and lock sin in, the, in, in a prison. You, 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 you can't grin and say, oh, I won't sin. Oh, bye. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can grin all you want. 
It doesn't work that way because you can't grin, but it still penetrates itself into your mind. Sin is not physical, my friends. And you can try a few physical things, but you can only live a holy life through the Holy Spirit. And all these steps lead to holiness, cleansing from sin, clothing in righteousness, consecration of the Spirit, all lead to holiness. And the interesting thing about the passage we, we, we are reading is that, is that every time there's a cleansing from sin, there was a sacrifice. Every time there was a clothing in righteousness, there was a sacrifice. Every time there was a consecration of the Spirit, there was a sacrifice that was taking place simultaneously as well for the priest. And that is very important um, as well as we study this because if you are not ready to make any sacrifices, you cannot live a holy life. It comes with sacrifices. Making sacrifices for yourself, for me, for all of us, we have to make sacrifices. And, and there were three sacrifices that were required of the high priest in the Old Testament. And, we, and I believe that we can apply this as well to ourselves as Christians today. And all these sacrifices are relevant to us. Normally, they will kill an animal, um, a bull or a ram um, as well. And of course, in the New Testament, we don't kill a bull or a ram, right? You don't bring a sheep here. Maybe I have my kebab stand here, and I'm slashing so many things with the high priest garment, cutting them. No, no, we don't do that in the New Testament um, as well. We'll find out what to do in the New Testament uh, as well. But in the Old Testament, you know, they will lay hands on the animal, that was supposed to be sacrificed. And the process of laying hands on the animals was to say that the animal now identifies with my sin. So I'm supposed to be uh, killed because I've sinned. But the animal identifies with my sin. And so the animal is killed because if I'm killed, then I cannot be alive to live holy before God, right? And so the animal has to be killed, taking my place, identifying with me um, as well. Very important. Very important. And so, and so let's explore a bit more about these three sacrifices that led to the holiness of the priest. The first one is a sin offering. Sin offering. And, and this was done in order for the sin of the high priest to be taken away. We see that in verse 10 to verse 12 of Exodus 29. It says, and You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his, son, and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 12. And you shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And pour the blood on the side beside the base of the altar. And so the priest has to be holy, right? Very important. And so a bull is brought. And so the priest lays his hand on the bull and, and by so doing, he's identifying with the bull. And he's saying that what this animal is about to do, he's doing it in my place. And so I'm the one supposed to do it, but if I'm, if I'm killed, then I cannot do it. So this animal is doing it in my place so that I have to be alive and I, I, I can live holy before God. And so I lay my hands on this bull so that what I'm doing, um, this bull is representing me. Very interesting. And so whilst he lays his hands on the bull, the bull identifies with the high priest. And the bull is killed at the tabernacle as well. And the bull is killed at the tabernacle because the tabernacle gives us access in the Old Testament to the presence of God. Because you cannot enter the presence of God with sin. And so at the place where you are given access to the presence of God, the, the, the blood has to be shed there as well. And so, and so it, says, it says that you take some of the blood 
and you put the blood and on the horns of the altar. Now, the horns of the altar represented the place of mercy. Because in the Old Testament, when, when, when somebody was in trouble uh, and they ran to the, to the temple of God and they held the horns of the altar, the person was asking God for mercy. In fact, in the Old Testament, if, if somebody holds the horns of the altar, you have no right of, to kill the person. Because the person has now come to plead for mercy. And so we see in this same scripture that you, it says you put some blood on the horns of the altar, which signifies that we are asking for mercy. That whenever we come before God, you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And the next phrase that comes out of our mouth when we say, God, I'm a sinner, is that God have mercy. Because when you go, when you are in, in, a, in a court, for example, and, 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 and you, say, you tell the judge, judge, I'm guilty. The next thing that comes out of your mouth is, I'm guilty, but have mercy. But we have a high priest whose name is Christ Jesus. The Bible says he went into the, into the Holy of Holies once and for all. And the Bible says that he poured his blood, his led his blood, so that we can now come boldly to the throne room of grace. So we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what the high priest is doing today represents what Christ did in the New Testament as well. Because have, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. I don't deserve it, but have mercy. So we see the sin offering. But not only do we see the sin offering, number two, we see the burnt offering. There is sin offering that is offered for the high priest, but there's also burnt offering. We see in verse 15 to 18 of Exodus 29, it says, And you shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs and put them with the pieces and with its head and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar it is burnt offering it is a burnt offering to the lord this is a sweet aroma an offering made by fire to the lord the burnt offering is called a sweet aroma now what is special about the burnt offering. It is, a burnt of, it is offered uh, because, you know, to represent the fact that the, the priest is now righteous before the Lord. And with the burnt offering, what happens is that once the animal is brought, this time the animal is cut into pieces. You know, they wash the entrails, the intestine, everything. It is arranged. And then it, the whole thing is bent. Not part of it. The entire animal is bent. Consumed by God, by fire. To, to, to signify that this entire animal has been dedicated, every part of it has been dedicated to God. And when God smells the sacrifice, it is pleasing to him as well and he's excited about it as well. Because in life, my friends, you don't just say, Lord, I give you my life. No, no, no. But when you say, God, I give you my life, you commit every part of your life to him. Every aspect of your life belongs to God, not just you alone. You bring yourself before the Lord and say, God, I want to live righteous for you. And every aspect of your life must belong to God. We don't put certain parts of our life on the altar. We put every part of our life on the altar. Why? Because God doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. Why does he want all of you? Because he gave all of himself for you. And he wants all of you. And so it's very important that when we think about holiness and honoring God and living for God and standing for him, it must be every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives. Because sometimes you find somebody who is generous. They give to the Lord. But other aspects of their lives are not on the altar. They sacrifice. But other aspects are not on the altar. If you want to live a righteous life, my friends. Every part of your body 
on the altar. And it's like when you, when you want to date somebody, say, say all cards on the table. Mm-hmm. Yes, God says all cards on the table. Every aspect of your life must be on the altar. And like the girl will say, no, I don't, are you sure you're ready to commit to this relationship? Are you sure? I don't want to hear from any other girl. I want to be exclusively yours. Uh, yes, yes. That's what God is saying. Every aspect must be on the altar. Every aspect must be on the altar. He says, I want every part of you. God wants all of you, my friends. He doesn't want some of you. He wants every aspect. The Bible said that the, the animal was put, cast into pieces, assembled, and bent. The entire thing was bent. Because in, in the other offerings, some part was bent, and then if I, I was the high priest, then I would chop, uh, keep some meat in my fridge. All right? They didn't have fridge those days, but uh, I kept some, and we sacrificed some to the Lord, and then I must also chop some meat. But this one, every aspect is bent. Every aspect. God says, I want all of you. I'm not going to strive. He says, if I am your God, unless God is not your God, but if God is your God, then every aspect must be on the altar. Somebody else may, may not see God as their God, and they can do what they feel like doing. It doesn't matter. That's them. But for us as Christians, if we say that we belong to him, every aspect must be on the altar. The funny thing about Christians is that sometimes we get born again, and now we are telling God what we will give to him. We are telling God which part of our lives we will lay at the altar. We are telling him. When he gave everything to us, now we are coming to negotiate with him. But God says, if you are serious with me, if you take me seriously, every aspect is on the altar, my friends. Every part of it consumed. Nothing is left for any other purpose. Each part of the burnt offering is totally burnt, my friends. And the third offering we see is the peace offering. And it is for consecration. It is a sacrifice that says God cleansed you of, your, of sin. God has now accepted you as totally dedicated to him. Now he is ready to use you. It is not an offering you, to, to make peace with God. No, no, it's not, for, it's, not, it's not for making peace with God. Because the sin offering has taken care of that. It is an offering that shows that God is now at peace with, with you. And now he can use you for his kingdom and for his glory. And we see that in verse 19 to 21 of Exodus 29. It says, you shall also take the other ram and Aaron and his sons and put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. And on the tip of the right ear of his sons. And on the thumb, on the thumb of the right hand. And on the big toe of the right foot. And, the, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar. And some of the anointing oil. And sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments. And on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed. He and his sons and his sons garment with him. Now note the sequence here. Now, you remember with a sin offering, you take the blood and the blood is applied onto the horn. And when you apply the blood on the horn of the altar, you are asking for mercy, right? Now, this time, when you, when you take the blood and the blood is applied, it's not applied onto the horn of the altar. It is, it is, it's been done already. There's mercy now. Now, when the blood is taken, it is, it is applied on the persons this time. And, and, and there were three areas that the blood had to be applied. There was the ears, the ears. 
and the, and the ears, we talk about the right ears, we signified obedience to God. That when you hear, that when you hear what God says, you will do it. It's obedience to God. And then there was a right thumb as well, which signifies service to God. That God anoints your hand, that whatever you do, whatever you touch is anointed by God. It is service to God. And then there was the, the big toe on the right foot, which signified that you will walk blameless before God. In all that you do. That whatever you do is dedicated to God. So, the, so here we see that the, the parts of the body are consecrated unto God. So now the high priest can now go and obey God, can serve God, and can walk blameless before God. Very important. In the peace offering, there is a special consecration to God. The blood is applied and the oil is applied to say the right ear, the big toe, and then also the, the, the right thumb as well. Obedience, service to God, and then walking blameless before God. Because sometimes somebody can be obedient, but it's not working for God. Sometimes people work for God, but they don't walk in righteousness. You can even find preachers who are working for God, and sometimes they are good workers for God. Their right thumb is working. It has been anointed, but their right toe has not been anointed. They, they, they are working for God, but they are living opposite lives. And instead of their lives ministering to people, they are ministering questions to people. And many times people get confused and say, ah, but he's a great man of God. He's done this, he did that, he's done this. Yes, his right hand has been consecrated, but his, his big toe he didn't give it to God. And so his life is ministering questions to people. God is working on him, but he says, God, I'm not going to give every part of myself to God. And his life is ministering questions. There's inconsistency in their lives. And there are people like that in church who love God. They love God. Their life is not, but, but their life is not on the altar. And you may find that they are zealous for God. They want to serve God and all that, but their life is not on the altar. It's not on the altar. They only know how to work for God, but they, they don't know how to walk blameless before him. Your life is not on the altar. Your right toe must be sanctified. You must walk blameless before him. God tells Abraham, he says, walk before, he says, if I'm your God, walk before me and be blameless. And be blameless. Walk before God. God wants us to walk before him. Our lives must not minister questions. Our lives must not make people doubt God. It must not make people question whether we are worshiping the true God or not. No, 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 no. Yes, we work for God and our obedience. Yes, we work for God. Yes, we are zealous. That is great in the house of God. In the midst of the zeal, walk blameless before God. A sacrifice that brings glory to God. That's why Job says in Job 31 verse 1, he says that I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? That means that Job is saying, he says, I've brought my eyes and I've dedicated my eyes to God. To the altar. That God, I'm going to please you. And when Job is saying this, Job's wife had left him. It was a, it was a moment of difficulty for Job. His wife had left him. And, and, now, and Job is there. And Job could have said, oh, she has left me after all. Uh, it doesn't matter. I can, I can just do, follow my desires now and, and all that. And Job could have said all that. But he says that I have made a covenant with my eyes. What covenant have you made 
says, I will not look at a young woman. Because, you know, there's the first look and there's the second look. The first look is a shock. The second look is for clarity. <laughs> and he says, I make a covenant that I will not look. We live in the midst of a generation that people are compromising. You can't believe it. The amount of compromise that is going on in the house of God amongst believers, it is unbelievable. You have pastors messing up. You have members of the church messing up. You have people doing all kinds of things. Married men not satisfied with their wives chasing other women. Married women not content with the man that God has blessed them with. Chasing other people. You have people messing up all over the place. The standard has become low. It has become low. Low. And the next generation are watching us and they're asking, if this is Christianity, then I don't, I don't want to be a Christian. And I don't want to be a Christian. If this is what God can use your life to do, then I don't want to be part of it. My logic is enough. Like Jennifer said, we are the bearers of the touch light. If we drop the light, it's over for Africa. It will go very fast. It will, you'll be shocked what will be happening in our nation. Our lives must speak louder than our words. Your life must mean something. You must be able to say no. It does not belong to me. No. Somebody brings something. You must be able to say no. I will not forge an invoice. No. My landlord is chasing me, knocking on my door, but I will not be blessed through compromise. Because the blessing of the Lord will make you rich and it adds no sorrow. You live in a world that you don't owe anybody. There is no hidden something anywhere. You are not owing anybody. No. Your life belongs to God. And yes, we will fall. Yes, we sometimes will make mistakes. But we rise up again and pick ourselves together. We are not hiding things. Our life in public and our lives in private are the same. Not, not that when we come to church, we, we, we put on a new clothes. Ah, I'm coming to church, Charlie. If you behave, Charlie, if you behave, if you behave. There's nothing like that. Your life is one. One. Honoring God in everything that you do, my friends. No hypocrisy. Honoring God. No hypocrisy. 100% with God. I messed up God. I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's 100%. There's no, we are not hiding anything here. And you know, I, I was saying in the first service that I was reflecting, you know, when, when, when Pierre and I traveled, I was, I was ref reflecting. And I was, you know, she was not around and there were so many lonely nights without you. Oh, my God. So many lonely nights. The man of God was just rolling on the bed. The bed was too big for me. Oh. Don't go again, I beg you. Yeah. And I was just reflecting about the message and thinking about preaching. And, and, and I was just telling God, I said, you know, some of the things that we pursue in life are very fickle. Because, you know, there are a lot of things. You know, I, was, I was watching a documentary yesterday about the Chinese emperor, the first Chinese emperor. Uh, and, and when he died, right, he had a very big tomb. In fact, it was in 1976 that he discovered a tomb. The farmer discovered the tomb. The tomb was an underground tomb so big that they buried him with a full army. And, then, and his, his wives were buried with him. Alive. Oh. And over 100 concubines were all buried there. Alive with him there. Horses, chariots, gold, servants, everything. Big. Big tomb. Bigger than, I mean, bigger the whole street. Big. 
In fact, there are still aspects of the tomb they have not opened yet because the Chinese government is afraid that if they open the tomb, the curse will come on them. So they have not opened the aspect of the tomb. It was so big. And they buried this guy, but this guy died and everything is still there. Because sometimes life is so fickle. Our life is like a grass. Like a vapor can easily fade away. So as we pursue all the things that you must pursue, and pursue them. But the most important priority of the believer is to live for God. I was telling him, I said, God, I don't care about the fact that I'm a reverend minister. I, 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 what, I'm chasing two, two doctorate degrees. I don't care about those things. They are good. But if that is what I base eternity on, I'm in trouble. You must have an insurance package eh, of where you are going. If you just base it on those things. Because some of you, you, you have lived for only 30 years and you say, hey, life is hard. 30 years. And your life is hard. Compared to eternity, I want God to be able to say, there are two things I want God to say. One is in the Bible, one is not in the Bible. The first one which is in the Bible I want God to say is, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because I was a pastor. Don't forget about that. Don't about that one. He won't say, well done, good pastor. No, it's well done, good and faithful servant. I want him to say that about my life. I want my life in public. I want to, what, I want to live out what I preach as best as I can. I may, I may fall, I may make mistakes, but I want to hold myself accountable. I want to live for God. The second thing I want to say is, to say that, so well done, Aloti. You stayed with your one woman. Yes. I want that one to be part of my testimony. That way it's not in the Bible, but I want that one. What am I trying to say? I'm saying that living for God is more important, my friends. Honoring God. And God tells, he says, he says, bring the sacrifice. God says, I want it to be all out. He says, how does it connect to the New Testament? We see that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the service that you and I give to God. It is our reasonable service. God says, in the Old Testament, the animal had to be killed, dead. To be offered on the altar. In the New Testament, we give our bodies alive to God. On the altar, you feel the heat from the altar. You feel the pressure. You feel the desire. You are cornered. But you say, I've given myself on the altar to God. I belong to God. I'm accountable to God. When people say, nobody here. Nobody may be here, but God is here. I'm accountable to God. 100%. Everybody may clap for me, but I don't care about that. I want his, his recommendation. I want his commendation. My life must be on the altar a hundred percent. That is what God wants from his children, my friends. And as you pursue all that you pursue, the greatest testimony of the believer is that you live for the Lord Jesus Christ. You stood for him. In the face of trial and temptation, you stood for him. Thank you for listening to the message. God bless you.